Good morning, Whitewater. You guys doing good? You guys energized? <laughs> one of us is. That's great. We just did the one child uh, Christmas party. It was amazing. So I know a lot of people are probably tired and worn out, but it's like the best kind of tired and worn out because we as a church came together. And I, it was a collective effort. Uh, whether you at the party uh, yesterday or m- maybe you helped wrap gifts or maybe you bought gifts or you know, you've contributed in so many different ways, our church came together to be what the church is supposed to be, which is a blessing to the world. We don't, we're not blessed by God to with, you know, keep that for ourselves, but to, but to bless others in the best way we can. It was so incredible to see our church come around. We had, we had I think, around 1,000 people that were, that were there. I think it was around 400 kids, foster care kids, that we as a, as a church got to serve, got to get individualized gifts like for each kid that was there, it was incredible. There was one kid, he opened his, his uh, gifts and there were drumsticks and he pulled them out and he's like, he's been wanting a, a drum set and he, he started immediately drumming. He's like, this is awesome. And someone was like, oh, that's just part of the gift. And there was a whole drum set someone had got for him that he had just been wanting so bad. And his face lit up when he saw those drums. And you know, it might be an equal and opposite response to the neighbors of wherever he lives, but he was so excited. It was amazing. We had Elmo there. Um, My son got to see Elmo. My son's two years old. and, And he was, it was kind of a mixture of excitement and terror at seeing this live Elmo. He, Elmo wanted to give him a high five and he stayed about this far away going like this walking around Elmo, but you guys, the creativity, the love, the joy that was in the place. The Bible teaches us that true religion in the book of James is true religion is taking care of widows and orphans, and guys, thank you for being a church that has that heart, and if you're new to Whitewater, welcome to a place you can belong before you believe, and you can bless with us even before you believe what we believe. This is Whitewater, and we're a Jesus-centered church. So uh, I want to jump right into our kind of, it's different than a sermon today. What, what we're going to be doing is, is kind of new. Um, it's kind of new, and I, I hope it's something that, that you, you guys enjoy. If it's terrible, just let me know. Our last service went really well, and so here's what, here's what we're planning on doing together. Um, we want to take time at the end of a series to just go over some of the major themes we talked about, biblical themes, life themes, and uh, as you can tell, we're all about life here. We've got kids and everything happening. Um, but what we want to do is, is go over the themes and give you an opportunity to just ask some of the questions, maybe some things that challenge you or things that you're, you're working through, like how do I put this on the ground? And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to go through some of those themes and, um, and then I want you, while you're listening on your phone or there's notes that you can grab nearby on a chair, write down any of the questions that might hit you. And I want, I want to encourage you to ask them um, at, toward the end of, of the talk. And we've, we've made time to do this as a community because one of the beautiful things about being in a church is it's not about like a sage on the stage. It's about the church as a community. It's not a building. It's not just a, a monologue. This is a place where we're a learning community. We're learning together. And so uh, all this stuff, we actually, I want to encourage you to take this out into your groups. If you're in a community group or in your spiritual family and to dig into this stuff because none of this matters if we don't imp- implement it into our lives. If we don't take this, you know, where the rubber meets the road, that's what we want to see. Does that sound cool? All right. So uh, what we'll do is we'll just jump right in, be writing any of those questions that hit you, and, and if you want to take notes on anything that strikes you, um, go ahead and do that. 
Um, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Nope, this is all good. So we started our series with God. We started this series. It's named Called to Compassion. And we wanted to start with calling. And if we start with calling, there's a person, there's a God who calls each and every one of us uniquely. And so we looked at the three-in-one God, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus teaches us. He says, go to his disciples, to his followers, go and make disciples, who are, that means learners, which is what we're doing here today, learning together. Um, go and make disciples of all nations. So this message isn't just for a select few. It's not for the prestigious. It's not for um, just the people that we want in. And this is for everyone. And then it says baptize them or immerse them. Is it, it just baptize them in the name of Jesus? What does it say baptize them in? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We, we are really as Christians, we're immersed into this reality of God, this three-in-oneness, this unity within diversity, this, this one God that is three persons, and there's a mystery behind it. I don't have time to get into that, um, but it's a mystery that has been a beautiful mystery that, that paints a picture of a God who, who is community in unity. It's a God who, God the Father, Son, and Spirit creates this, this loving uh, unity, this self-giving God where the Father uh, serves the Son, Son serves the Spirit, Spirit serves the Father, and they serve each other in their callings, in their uniqueness, um, in partnership. The Trinity is a partnership, and I just think that's beautiful. And here's the gospel that we kind of um, talked about the beginning of the series, the gospel according to Trinity. All right, I'm going to try to make it really quick and simple. So uh, here's how most people might view themselves. Uh, my, my daughter helped draw this up. She's got better handwriting than me, so she helped draw this. Some of you guys might remember this. This is how many people, they're like, okay, this is me. This is me as an individual. But in the world we live in, we learn to draw lines through people and between people. So here's what that might look like. When we draw a line through somebody, it's kind of sad. And what happens is in, in our culture, we... We are trained to love people conditionally. If you do this, I'll love you. If you don't do this, then I'll love you. So what we end up doing is we draw lines down the middle of somebody and we say, it, it, this part of you I like, these skills I like, this aspect of you I like, these aspects I don't like. And this is the line, like, this is what we reject. I don't like this part of you. I don't like this, uh, who you are. I don't like what you do. I don't like these things. And, and there's a line we can draw. And sometimes it's like, through half the person sometimes like it's like covers a majority of person I just don't like most of who you are and you have to change so that I'll love you and we live in a world that likes to give conditional love and what we unknowingly do when we do this is we start making our family members our spouses our friends and our world into our image because if you're more like me and what I want, then you're worthy of love. But God teaches us a different way. The Trinity teaches us a different way. And here's what it is. We're loved by the Father. We're led by the Spirit, learning to be loved like Jesus. We're loved by the Father. Um, we'll, I'll bring this, these words back up. Would you go to the next picture? Um, oops, of uh, the individual. The individual. Go back there. Yeah, there we are. And then show that if we have it, them circled. Uh, the Father, if we don't, that's okay. But the Father draws a circle around the whole person. He doesn't draw a line. He loves the whole person. He, it's unconditional love. God loves the... <laughs> I think that was Pastor Mike. Are you okay? <laughs> You're not angry? Okay, good. There's, uh, there's more constructive ways. 
to take out your love by the Father, Michael. You're loved. Um, <laughs> God draws a circle around the whole person. He loves us unconditionally. And that's radically different. But here's the, here's the reality. God doesn't just stop there. Um, we live in a world that draws lines between people. Go ahead and show that picture. Lines between people. And there's like, who's in, who's out. Remember we talked about this last week. These walls get kind of built up. And, and it's conditional love by, you know, whether you're into this political group or you're in this political group or you believe this religion versus this religion. Uh, whether you're this personality, that personality. Whether you're this community, that community. We draw lines between people all the time. Would you agree in our world? And again, God comes in. And he draws a circle around the whole world. In fact, John 3, 16, for God loved the whole world or the whole creation. The creator loves his whole creation. And, and that love begins to change us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to become worthy. We are loved by God. Amen? But God doesn't stop there. We're loved by the Father, but we're also led by the Spirit. So God takes us uh, in our imperfection and brokenness and the blessing and the brokenness, loves us unconditionally. That's where it starts. He loved us before we loved him. And then the Spirit of God begins leading us into becoming who we never could be without Him. That's grace. God doing in our lives what we could never do on our own. That's grace. And the Spirit is like the, the Spirit of truth, of teaching, of leading us to become who we never thought we could be. And God changes us. He transforms us. And we're led by the Spirit. And the way you know you're being led by the Spirit and God's love, the Father's love, is that we're learning to be loved like Jesus. So if you want to know if you're growing or not, you ask the question simply, am I becoming more like Jesus? Because like Jesus is at the center of this, and the Spirit is leading us to be like Jesus in our faith, um, in our fears, in, our, uh, in the little picadillos of our lives. Are we becoming more like Jesus, more gracious, more filled with peace, more filled with joy? Are we learning to persevere through things the way Jesus did? And like, if you want a sit, simple litmus test of transformation, of being, following God, following Jesus, being immersed in Father, Son, Spirit, am I looking more and more like Jesus? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Amen? So there's the, tr there's the gospel according to Trinity. We started there, and, and if it's true that God is Trinity... That God is partnering Father, Son, and Spirit to love and bless the world. Um, here's, here's the reality, that we are all called. Each of us are called. And we talked about two callings in our life. That we're called to the Creator to love and serve the Creator, if you remember this. And we're also called to serve His creation and love His creation. That is a high, those are two callings, called to God, to love Him, serve Him. And to serve his creation. That's almost like the great commandment, right? Love God, love people. He's calling us to that. Um, it's a, it's a, a doctrine, a theology that, that if you've never heard of it, it's called the priesthood of all believers. What that means is that we were designed to be priests. Not to like have to get to God through a mediator, through another priest. But God, through Jesus, has enabled all of us to be priest-like. That, like, not that you have to wear robes or a collar or anything like that. But you have direct access to God, to his voice, to his will, to his love, to a relationship with him. And the priestly calling of Adam and Eve and Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus, is teaching us to love God and serve God and love and serve creation. And we humans, we mix that up. What we'll do is like, this is called like idolatry, is when we start loving and serving creation and, and worshiping like images of things or 
like images of things. And we flip it, and rather than learning and hearing the voice of God that gives us our vocation, we start like making idols out of the world and serving those things, and they become harsh slave masters, and we never can make them happy. And what ends up happening is we try to serve them to serve ourselves, and we set ourselves up as God, and we basically turn God into our slave. And we think, okay, if I serve creation and have this and worship well enough, my work, my time, my money, whatever the God is that we want to serve and worship, um, God can become my servant. And he becomes like the, the cosmic slave. God, would you do this for me? You need to do this. I did this, and so you need to do this. Or we say, God, I just don't even want you in the equation. If you just stay out of the equation, then I'm happy with me getting what I want out of the world. Does that make sense? And so when we invert our worship, we become like what we worship. If you worship money, you become enslaved to money. If you worship work, you become enslaved to it. Money and work are good things, but they're not good God things. We're called to love and serve God and love and serve creation. Amen? The, what comes out of that is that you all have a unique calling. Not all of us are called exactly to do what Jesus did. Like, not all of us are called to save the whole world, come and die on a cross and save the world. Not, like, that's a unique calling to Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, but in character. And, and so we're, we're all going to have different callings. Like, as every person, as unique as every thumbprint, every fingerprint in this room is, so is the uniqueness of our callings. We have artists in here that have amazing gifts and passions for for that that's their call some people are amazing like tech or amazing business minds amazing nonprofits with huge heart you're working in nonprofit world we got people working in business world we got people working in governance and helping bring wise governance to the world not foolish that's important would you agree we need people who are christians following christ who are sent into the world into their calling to transform their world but calling often leads to conflict between people because we compare, because we're competitive. And um, Jesus shows us that callings aren't meant to lead us to conflict. They're meant to lead us through conflict to collaboration. Like, like the father, son, spirit are like a beautiful partnership, maybe a good example. They, you know, the, the fa- father created the, the heavens and the earth and, and Jesus redeemed it and the Holy Spirit's kind of sustaining this whole thing and leading us. Is the father's role, is the father's calling more important than Jesus' calling? And is the father and the, and the son's calling, is that more important than what the Holy Spirit does? I think Christians would say no, like, you're like, this is trick questions, I'm leaving. No, these are all really important. And so every calling is unique, it's needed, and you've been given a calling by God. And that means that you are sent into the world through your calling, not stuck. You are sent into the world, not stuck. Many people feel stuck at their life. They feel stuck in, in this, maybe their school or their work, their family, in a relationship. And, and and God is, he has sent us into the world to transform it. Just like Jesus, it said, for God so loved the whole world, God sent his son. If, if it was like, man, I don't want to be sent into a messy, broken world, Jesus would never have been sent in. And we're to be Christ-like. We're sent, not stuck. A, a great verse for that is Jeremiah 29. Seek the peace and prosperity to the, to the city which I have carried you into exile. He says to these exiles who have been brought out of their home 
into a world that they didn't want to be in. He says, you're not stuck there, you're sent there. Seek their peace, pray to the Lord for it because if that city, if that place prospers, you too will prosper. Be agents of peace and transformation, amen? This is another theme we talked about. I think it's so, so important. We're to bring uh, transformation so that a culture flourishes. And then I want to kind of hone in so we can get to the questions, but the last three themes we talked about is we might have a different calling that looks a little different than Jesus, just like Jesus and John the Baptist, his cousin, looked totally different. Like John never touched alcohol. Jesus made alcohol. He made wine. You know, John was out in the wilderness. Jesus was like in the midst of the city and hanging out with sinners. And, you know, John, his men, they looked different, but they were both on the same team. And when people tried to divide them, Jesus was like, no, 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 he didn't have any of it. We're on the same team. We need to be on the same team. So our callings might be different to change the world around us, like leaven, if you remember the sermon we talked about being leaven, like bread, and you put a little bit of leaven, it changes all the dough and makes it rise. The church is to gather together, not to be like, how great are we, but to encourage each other, love one another, and then go back out into the world with our callings and love people like Jesus did. But your callings might be different, but the pattern will be like Jesus. You want to know the Jesus pattern that all of us will go through, the Bible teaches us? See if you can pick it up in Matthew 14. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed the bread. And then breaking the loaves of bread into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples who distributed it to all the people. And it says they all ate as much as they wanted. He fed 5,000 people. And Jesus, with the bread, he took it in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. And this is the pattern of Jesus. This is a deep pattern we see through the Gospels and through the whole New Testament. And this theme is that Jesus' life was blessed by God. He was then broken on the cross by our sin, for our sin, to be given to the world. Amen? And so we see the deep pattern of God, which is this life death and resurrection that restores the world and in your calling and in your life is it not true that you and I when we follow Jesus go through seasons where we are blessed where we are broken and then God doesn't waste that brokenness he gives it to a hungry and dying world amen that's a deep theme here's the last two you can bless before you belong we talked about this centurion he's not a not a God follower, didn't know Jesus, but they, he encountered this guy, and the, he, Jesus let someone who wasn't yet a God follower, a Jesus follower, bless with him before he belonged and before he believed. Jesus, Jesus allowed him to bless before he belonged. I had, I had friends that were a part of the one child Christmas party this last weekend who don't yet follow Jesus or know him, but they were blessing with us. And in that process, I feel like people can see the kingdom. They can practice and see the kingdom. Not just read words, not just learn formulas about God, but learn to know God by being part of the blessing. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And here's the other thing Jesus did with non-Christians and even enemies, natural enemies, like a Roman centurion who represents the Roman government. Jesus was able to point to him and say, there is a model of blessing and love in his life that my disciples can learn from. And he's teaching us that there are people who don't yet know Jesus, but are doing Jesus things that can teach Jesus people. We can learn from anybody, friends. 
Now basically he's teaching, like, you might have people in your life that all, their house is like not connected to God. Their house is all dark. There's not much light in it. But there's one room of light. And we can see it. And we can learn from it. We can look at the one room of light. And they might not know that that light in their life, their love, their generosity, their curiosity, their... Um, their uh, patience, their endurance, whatever it might be, that that is that image of God in the, in them is from God. And they might not know that yet, and that's part of our our job. But we can learn from them, and Jesus loves to teach us to be humble and learn from anybody. Where's the image of God? Where's the bright spots in the culture? Let's not be afraid of the culture. Let's engage the culture. Point out the bright spots. Look for the light, lights in the houses that might have only one light in them. But let's celebrate that and point them towards Jesus. Learn from them. Amen? Last thing we covered this last week is walls versus wells. That we have a community of walls when we say you, you're either in or you're out. We focus on the walls and all the, the, the divided things and like, the, like we talked about earlier. Or we're, digging a, or we're creating a community of wells. Well, we're digging a well that says, are you moving toward the well? Are you moving toward Jesus or away from him? And it's a very different set of questions. In one, the wall-shaped community, you have to believe and behave to belong. In a well-shaped community, you can belong before you believe. And I want to I make sure that we have time for questions. So I'm going to stop there. There's a lot to be said. But do you guys see those themes? I did that pretty quick. I'm, I'm excited about how quick I did that. I'm you guys know me. So um, what I wanted to, uh, us to do before we go to questions, this is kind of new, and I, I want to celebrate the beauty of conversation and dialogue. And uh, before we ask questions, what I want you to do is just turn to somebody and talk for just a few minutes. Um, and I want you to just talk about this question. What theme, if you think back on this series, or you think about today, what you heard today, what theme challenges you or has changed your thinking? What theme has challenged or changed your thinking? And just share that with somebody next to you. Like if there's someone new, you don't know them, that's what an awesome opportunity to dig a well. Not a fence, right? And let's start talking. And then I'll call us together and then we'll go through some questions together. Sound good? All right. Some of you guys are like, mm, this will wake us up. Ready? Go. All right. Man, there's some good conversation happening. Let's bring it together. And um, here's how we'll roll. Here's how we'll do this. Um, I'm just going to set this up really quickly. I'm so glad. Like, I just think it's so important to be, you know, putting our faith and what we're learning about faith, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, as you're exploring the way of Jesus, um, I think it's so important to be learning through practice and conversation because... You know, we're, we're all on a journey, right? So uh, here's what, I, what I'd like to encourage us for this time. Just so that we maximize our time together, I'm going to ask that you, you know, look at one of those questions that you wrote on your phone or on your notes or you just got in your mind and just, just ask the question, introduce who you are, just, my, my name's so-and-so, and, and then ask your question. And then I'm going to try to keep my answers succinct. And I'm also going to just continually point toward like deeper study, deeper learning. I want to encourage you, this, this is just a starting point. And these kinds of discussions are so rich because it's like it leads us 
there's a reason the Spirit's kind of leading us with these questions. And God wants to teach us something. So I want to encourage you to, if you're not in a group, get in a group or a spiritual family. Um, we, we can connect you all kinds of ways. There's, the, there's a group table out on the side here. I want to encourage you to jump in one if you're not and, and carry these conversations into life. With that said, um, do we have anybody with a question you know, that's willing to start us off? All right, right down here. Yeah, we got a mic just to make sure everybody hears. Uh, this is the man. Give Tobin a hand. Thank you, Tobin, for uh, all your work. There's all kinds of good stuff. Go ahead. I'm Michael Hart. Um, I have a question. What word or encouragement would you give to those who don't really feel like they know or have found their calling? Ooh, that's good. That's good. Anybody ever felt that way before? Nope, everybody else has found their calling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, like calling's like a tricky thing. It's the, it's the idea of like finding your voice. It's like finding your voice. And so um, I, would, I would encourage a, a few things. One, if we were looking at a, what's called like a biblical narrative, like the big biblical story, and I think the Bible's a story. And there's a lot of different windows you can look into. Um, and I would say really looking, how do biblical characters find their voice, find their calling? And in the beginning with Adam and Eve, we see they, f- they find their vocation or calling when they are listening to the voice of God. So when you listen to God's voice, you find your vocation. You listen to God's voice, you start to have God's vision, and you, p- you start to personally understand who you are, what your gifts, your passions, those kinds of things are, how God wired you. Um, Adam and Eve, they go wrong in their vocation. They start doing the wrong things when they start listening to the wrong voice. When they start listening to the voice of the serpent, which distorts the truth and distorts what God wants from them, that's when their vocation or their calling goes wrong. So I would really encourage you, like, when the closer you are to the Lord, the more you might, you might not know what your vocation is. Most people don't have the flash of light and know exactly what they're going to do. Sometimes that happens, but most people, it's a journey. Like, for me, it's, it was a journey of taking steps. Like, am I, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor, you know? I, I, I knew about pastoring because my dad was one. I knew at times, like, I didn't want anything to do with being a pastor. But for me, like, God, it was like a step-by-step thing through high school, college, discovering gifts, passions, talents. And there were, this, there were moments, I would call them pivotal people I encountered where they confirmed calling in my life. Like, have you ever thought of doing this? Or they confirmed my gifting. Like, hey, when you said this or how you explained this, this was really helpful. And it just started, it was kind of like a constellation for me. I started following. And for me, that was God's voice speaking into it. So I, w- I, would, really, I would really encourage that. Pay attention to God's voice. People who spend time with God are trained by God. Um, and the voice leads to vocation. And listen to people that are trustworthy, good people that you encounter. You don't have to know them very well, but if it's like that rings true, if their voice rings true with your reality, with who you are, your passions, your gifts, your personality, I think that helps lead you towards your calling. And calling shift in seasons. So pay attention to the season you're in. I'm going to try to keep them short, but that was a really great question. What other question we have? Anybody else? Oh, that's great. Thanks, Jim. Anybody else have a, have a question? This is really quick if we didn't. Oh, right here, right here. And I've been called to the field of healthcare. And so my question to kind of bounce off that is when you found your calling, I have a tendency to fall more in love with the dream than the God I ascribe the dream to. 
mm -hmm. um, just to be completely honest. And so how do you prevent that while you're doing your calling? That's, uh, that's a really good question. Can anybody relate? Like getting so absorbed in the work that we sometimes don't spend time with the God who created the work. Um, I can, you know, as a pastor, that's something I have to really watch out for. Because um, I'm, you know, me and Mike, Mike's, you know, might be called worship arts, but all of this is worship. This right now is worship. Um, we're, we're, and we're using our minds together as a community to worship God and learn how to do that better. But I have to keep my life in perspective because it's really easy to do ministry um, at the expense of like loving the God who created the ministry. And I, I think that any work like healthcare, that's ministry. That's like you've been called to that. That's as important as what I'm doing here um, and what any pastor would do. What you guys do on a weekly basis, the schools you're in, the work you're doing, healthcare. I'm, thank you for that work. I mean, Jesus was a healer. That's an extension of Jesus. Um, educators, that's an extension of Jesus. Building beautiful things, that's an ex Jesus was a carpenter. You know, like it's amazing what you guys are doing. And so I would, I would encourage you, that's a really good, like, both these questions are good. Take that, in, take that out of here and continue exploring that. And here's a few things I would say. I would ask that question to somebody who's been in your field. And they don't have to have been in your field. Someone you trust that, you know, is, loves the Lord and they've done a good job from what you can tell in their life of loving God well and worshiping him and not losing that through work. Um, I, would, I would ask someone who's, who's done that and walked that path. And it's, I would also especially look for someone in my field. Like I have pastor mentors that I talk to. And I'll call them up and be like, hey, here's the things I'm facing. Or if I f I'm feeling pulled like, like so, into so many different things, like doing so many things, I'm like, I'm not just being a child of God. Like how do you do that? And what I find is uh, in a wisdom process when I talk with other people, they help me think of angles of ways that they've, through prayer, through practice, through Bible, they've kept, they've stayed centered. And, and, you know, the people I've talked to, they're like, oh, yeah, I've totally gotten off. No one's perfect. And I love the people that are like, yeah, here's kind of the winding road I've taken, and here's what I've learned. But I just think seeking wisdom from people who have been there specifically in your field and then also generally as Christians. I think that's really wise. And then obviously, um, I think when we look at the life of Christ, I think we can underestimate, like think about this, when Jesus was called into his calling, like he was baptized, came out of the water, the clouds literally parted. And then the spirit came, have you guys been baptized? A lot of you guys been baptized? You know, it feels like the clouds can part, but like for Jesus, it literally parted, Holy Spirit, and then God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He's doing ministry. Listen to his voice, not the voice of the serpent, right? And Jesus is getting launched into his ministry, which was part of it was healthcare. He's a good one to pay attention to then, right? He gets, where does, what's his first assignment when, he, when he, he's launched into ministry? He's sent into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He goes into like, the, like no, no food. He's just attacked. And sometimes we get attacked when we go into the, our ministry. And, and we underestimate. I would really study the life of Jesus. And I would look at how did he stay true to his calling? Because he faced the same temptations. And people can be like, well, he had the God card too. But he faced major. And he was dealing with, come on, like some wonderfully stupid disciples. Like probably all of us can be, right? He loved him, and, and he went through temptation, but he hung on to God's voice, God's word, rather than listening to Satan's voice, 
and he prioritized time with God. He would never let go of that, even though there was a lot of need all around him. Sometimes the needs start to outweigh like our need to connect with our Father. So I would encourage those as a few examples to study, um, but, but don't underestimate the, the richness of the community around us. There are people that have been in your shoes asking the same questions. So that'd be a few, few steps I would suggest. Another question. That was really good. Yeah, right here. I hope this, I hope this is helpful and people aren't like, oh, this is terrible. Um, in Matthew 28, it was talking about go and make disciples. Um, does that mean women can be pastors? Because um, that doesn't necessarily say men are women. And then what role should women play? biblically in the church and in the mission. Man, you're putting me on the spot here, you know? We actually ran out of time, so I'm going to have, no, I'm just <laughs> Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give this a well, hopefully a well-rounded answer, because I think it's an important one. I was going to spend a little bit less time, but this is an important one, and I think it's important for you guys to know. Um, so there's different beliefs on this in the Christian church. There's different beliefs on this within my own family, like my dad's a pastor, uh, we have different belief, like some different theological, um, we stand on a few different areas. We have a lot of agreements. And I would just say in this room, we have people from different perspectives on all kinds of theological issues. When it comes to uh, the role of women in, in leadership and ministry, uh, it's, a real, it's an important question. And I just want to first say, like, no matter what our view is, we want to be a church that in the essentials, we have unity. Uh, in the uh, non-essentials, we have liberty. Um, and in all things, we have love. Okay? So you can, believe, you can disagree with me on this and still be in our church, still be moving and le- you know, loving and leading people in our church, and that's okay. So, but where, where our church stands on this, um, uh, knowing that there's a variety of belief, um, is I, I actually think that, um, that baptism is a sign of the priesthood of all believers. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, there are women that did like more incredible things in the life of his ministry than um, the men. And, and if you follow the ministry, Jesus for me is a center point. Like I learned from Paul's writing, but it's, Paul is using Jesus as a center point to understand our theology. And so when we look at Jesus, uh, a few things stand out to me. Um, like the woman at the well, you guys remember we talked about that last week. Um, Jesus sends the woman back into the village to bring her village to him. So she goes and leads men and women to Jesus. Who does Jesus correct in that story? Does he correct the woman for leading? Or does he correct the men for not leading? Jesus Jesus corrected the men for not leading. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't have led. What she did was a good thing. And get, who, was, who were the first reporters of the gospel when Jesus died when, and rose again, was raised back to new life? When Jesus, the resurrection happened, it was the women whose, whose voice wasn't even considered good enough in court. That's how upside down Jesus' kingdom is. He was challenging all that stuff and, and he gave the gospel of good news that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb to people whose testimony couldn't even be listened to in the court of law. Because he was, remember he said, like, the first shall be last. He was flipping the kingdom upside down. And that's, that's my, that's, that's the view I hold to. I hold that, uh, and our church holds to, like, women having complete and full 
uh, access to any ministry based on their calling. We're not going to put anybody, men or women, into a calling. We don't want to put people into a role that's not fit for their gifts. So it's based on gifts, not on gender for, for us at Whitewater. But I'm, you know, I have family members that have a little bit different, more what's called a complementarian view, um, that the, the, the headship in the home should be male is their belief. Um, and even though I might disagree with that, um, I know that I have brothers and sisters who hold biblical views and they're doing this to honor God and that's the faith they know and they're, they're trying to love God really, really well and serve God. And so we can, we, can, we can have communion to get together. We can be in a church together. We're a diverse church with different beliefs but that's a centerpiece for us at, at Whitewater. And baptism, I think, the way you said it, I would, I would completely agree. Baptism is the priest of all believers, and that's the launching of anybody and everybody into their ministry. And I think that's a beautiful picture to a world that likes to divide on gender, race, all kinds of stuff. Um, and Jesus, for us, is the center um, of that. Is that helpful? Got really quiet in here all of a sudden. Man, um, we might have time for one other, one other question. Oh, I should say, I know that there's other thoughts with Paul's writing, and I would love to engage on that, um, but um, on the area of gender in the church. Um, but for sake of time, uh, that might have to happen more at another, another place. But any other questions? That was the duty. Okay, right here. Hi, I'm Alex. Uh, quick question. Uh, there... So for people that are so hardened against God, mainly atheists, um, that just your mere existence of being a Christian is a wall for them, uh, how do you continue to break down and continue to dig wells to try to break through the wall that they've put up? Hmm. You know, when you figure that one out, you should let me know. <laughs> that's a great question. I think that's a great question. Um, again, I just... I think that Christians can live just as, uh, their lives can look uh, just like an atheist, except they put like a, a Jesus sticker over it, meaning like they can, they can be living like someone who doesn't believe in God, because they're, they're afraid of the same things, they have the same amount of fear and the same amount of lack of trust in God that atheists have. And so I would, I would say it's not a us or them, like atheists versus Christian, but I would say it's a, it's a human issue, is the issue of faith in God. And so I think that's one of, the, one of the ways I've seen barriers getting broken down is, is saying, hey, this is not an us and me and you or us versus them issue. This is a, I have, I have faith issues. I have areas of belief that I'm working through and that's okay. And you know, Jesus had a disciple named Thomas who's doubting Thomas, right? And he's, you know, telling all the disciples, he's like, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has rose again. I'm not going to believe that he's come back until I feel the, the, the marks in his hands and I see the marks in his feet. And, and Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, Thomas, from Philly. And there's this visceralness, this humanness in faith that I just think, like, Jesus entered his world and didn't make fun of him. He just said, hey, you want to see? Come see. Come taste and see. I think... When we say, hey, faith is an us issue, and we all struggle with faith, whether we consider ourselves atheists or not, we're human, um, certainty can lead Christians to do bad things, like 
Um, I'm so certain that it's fine if I'm, if I'm uh, coercive and I use violence toward people in the name of God. That's wrong. And it's wrong when science, scientists or people from a more um, material, materialistic view, like the world is only material, there's no spiritual, when they're coming from only that perspective, um, the, in the name of, of being right and the dogma of, of the modern day thinking, whether it's Christian or not, like that's still dangerous because it... it treats people like things and starts treating things like people. Like the microscope becomes more important than the people around us. So I, w- I would just, I would emphasize, all that to say, I would emphasize entering people's world and loving them. And I had a, uh, Jesus did this so well. His evangelism was like defying people's expectations of what Christians are, what he was about. And he would just, no one knew what Jesus was going to do. Anybody who's like, you know, like, hey, uh, I have a friend who always says, the WWJD, like, what would Jesus do? Like, no one knows what Jesus was going to do. Like, like, yeah, sure, people knew, like, oh, yeah, he's totally going to make wine at this party, you know? Like, no one knew he was going to do that. No one knew he was going to start riding in the sand when these people were trying to uh, condemn and kill this woman, and they're like, what should we do, Jesus? According to the law, she should be killed. Like, he would just do unexpected things of love, and he just, he had a way of decentering people by his love. And I think that central teaching is... Uh, on this is Jesus says, love your enemies. You've, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say, love your enemies. And when, if I can be thankful for an enemy like Jesus was with the centurion, natural enemy, Roman enemy, who's a military guy, who probably was a part of conquering and doing terrible things to his people, he was able to see in him and thank him for his goodness and say, hey, I see the blessing of God in you. Come teach me, come teach my disciples. If we have that attitude, doesn't that change everything? Like if you're not a Christian here and you might consider yourself an atheist, thank you for being here. Your type of faith or lack of faith, whatever you want to call it, teaches me. Your questions you ask, it teaches me. The way you live, it, it, it makes me a better follower of Christ. And just living in a way of love and thankfulness, even of our enemies. Is that, is that cool? That's what I would say. I'm gonna have to close just because of time, but I wanna just tell you, here's what I've learned through this series. And this is the challenge I wanna give you guys as we, as we get ready to worship. Um, I'm learning more about partnership in the Trinity, like Father, Son, Spirit. None of them were like better or more, you know, seen as better than the other. I'm learning that like my kids and our kids that are up there that we were hearing during some of this, their calling right now is as important as what we're doing right now. Amen? I've been learning, like, how can I serve my little daughter and my little son in their development and in their training? How can I help them? And because and, God's doing work in their life and going to. That's been big to me. Another thing is a Jesus-centered community, a Trinitarian, like, Father, Son, Spirit community is a transforming community. And as we're transformed, we can transform the world around us. I really believe that. Another thing are two walls that I've been learning to knock down that are bigger than I thought. One is the, the wall of mental health, the stigma of mental health in our culture. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, there are more people, more family members, more friends that are hurting because of mental brokenness than I realize. And I think that we, we realize at times. And the church, we, we have to be part of knocking that wall, knocking that stigma down. If you see someone in pain, pray for someone in pain, engage it, help them. 
Amen? That's a big wall. Another wall that really struck me is um, knocking down the wall of secular and sacred. Like people who we, we think that like the pastor, being a pastor or Sundays is somehow more sacred than Monday through Saturday. And it's like, no, Jesus tore that down and says what you are doing during the week is as important as what we do as a gathered church. When you scatter, you're doing godly, important work. You're priests. You're loving people. You're showing them God's love. Imperfectly, but in a wonderful way. And the last thing is, um, I'm learning to look more and more for models of discipleship and blessing in people I don't agree with or people that might be my natural enemy but they can teach me more. They can teach me something about Jesus. And what, what do they know? What do they have to bring? And how can I help point them to the creator who actually has given them that image of God? I'm learning that. And faith, it's a journey, guys. And I don't, I don't need to be more patient and not asking people to take step one to a hundred and just go from step one to step two to step three. That's okay. That's our church. We're all moving toward the well. We're all trying to figure this thing out. Amen? So my encouragement is to live a life of blessing and bringing. As we go into Christmas season, so many people experience loneliness and hurt and heartache. Um, people live online. Share our online, you know, links, you know, to sermons or any of the resources we have digitally. That might be a good place to enter their world to begin bringing them to a place of community toward Jesus. Um, share your faith, have spiritual conversations, and look for windows to invite people into your life. And this, this Christmas Eve, invite people to a service, invite people to experience this. God wants to use our church. So that's my encouragement, that's my homework for you. We're going to be taking communion now, so I'm going to pray for that. But communion, again, is not a wall. It's not trying to define who's in and who's out. It's, it's an invitation to anybody who, who's moving toward Jesus who's trying to figure this whole thing out. If, if Jesus could have Judas who betrayed him and other disciples who didn't fully understand things and got things wrong, if they could eat at the table with Jesus and, and, and for, for communion, certainly anyone who's moving toward Jesus can, can partake. Communion is a well, it's not a wall, amen? So come down the middle aisles, go out the side, and when you eat, um, eat in remembrance of Jesus, his body and his, his blood that were spilt and were broken so that we could have life. Um, and you can eat it immediately or you can go and pray. And before you eat it, get your heart right with the Lord. There's no wrong way to eat and take communion together, okay? So let me pray and let's, uh, let's close this, this service out uh, strong. Father, we love you. We love this learning community. Thank you for just the questions that came. And God, I just encourage, this is the starting point, Lord. And I pray that people would bring this, the questions that you have are spirit-led, like they're, they're leading somewhere. And have them bring them into the community, into their families. And, and Lord, would you guide them by, their, by your spirit? Lord, as we take communion, we, we remember that we are a, a community that is loved by the Father, led by the Spirit, learning to be loved like you. In Jesus' name, amen.